Join us this week for a special episode of Living the Call. Deacon Charlie honors Los Angeles Archdiocese Auxiliary Bishop David O'Connell, whose life was tragically and violently taken last month. Come hear about the inspiring life and legacy of this great bishop. This is Living the Call. Hey friends, it's Deacon Charlie Echeverry, and I have a little bit of a special episode for you today because of all of the events that have gone on in the last couple of weeks in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. I thought it would be remiss if I did not dedicate a special episode to um, my experience and my thoughts on the passing, on the frankly violent murder of uh, one of our auxiliary bishops, Bishop David O'Connell. Um, so that's what this episode is about. I'd love to share a little bit about my experiences with him and uh, just some general remarks about it. Um, the entire archdiocese has been, you know, obviously transformed by this uh, brutal murder that happened a couple of weeks ago. And um, I know that God will bear good fruit from this super unfortunate and tragic situation, but it's been a very difficult time. Uh, for the archdiocese across the board, for the archbishop, especially, who was very close to uh, Bishop David O'Connell, and for a number of other priests, not to mention um, Catholics in the diocese, who were deeply connected to uh, Bishop Dave. Uh, Bishop Dave was uh, ordained in 2015 to the, uh, to he, he was given his auxiliary bishopric in 2015, um, and he was ordained at the same time as, uh, you know, very notably father at the time, Robert Barron, who's now obviously Bishop Barron, and uh, Father Brennan, Bishop Brennan now. And so he was ordained in a ceremony with two other guys. And I remember watching that ceremony. I didn't get a chance to attend it in person, although I've been to other Episcopal ordinations. I just didn't get a chance to get to this one. But I remember seeing it online or on TV. And it was very special to see that experience of these three guys the most uh, surprised by all of it, and I've come to find out very surprised by the uh, election um, that was given to him uh, to the episcopate was Bishop O'Connell. In fact, he was very distraught by the decision. And I came to find out only recently that he had spent uh, a couple of months in a fairly deep depression by the prospects of being consecrated a bishop precisely because he felt that that would take him away from his sheep that he had come to love, uh, you know, so deeply in the region of Los Angeles that he principally ministered to. And also a sense of being taken from the poor because that was a particular charism that he had. So he was, he had a very difficult time when he was called uh, by the Vatican to, uh, to take on this bishopric. Uh, and again, I came to find that out only very recently uh, that that reality. Um, a couple things just immediately for those who don't know, um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Bishop Dave was shot down, gunned down in his own home. What initially was reported as a single gunshot wound has now been revealed as more than five gunshot wounds. And so it was a very brutal assassination, frankly, uh, is what it feels like. We still don't have a motive, although we have a uh, a person who has been arrested and who has admitted to the crime as of the recording of, as of this recording, there's still not a motive that's been identified. We know that the person who did the killing was related, was the husband of one of the housekeepers or the housekeeper of that particular property where Bishop uh, Dave lived, but we don't have a reason as to why. 
And when we know, the more we know about Bishop Dave, the less uh, a sort of a motive uh, seems obvious, at least to me at this point. So it could be just one of those unfortunate kind of freaky things that happens where somebody's in a fit of rage or passion or mental illness decides to do something. And there are some, uh, you know, there's some evidence of this person who did this being relatively unstable. Uh, Some reports of neighbors seeing him, you know, mow the lawn in the rain and just talking strange things. So there might be some of that. But again, at this point, we don't have a motive. What we do know is he was brutally killed. And it sent the whole archdiocese into, um, frankly, a state of shock. It was particularly hard for those priests and bishops who were very close to Bishop Dave and obviously to thousands and thousands of other uh, just, you know, Catholics and non-Catholics who knew him well. That's one of the things that I, that stood out to me right away when um, Bishop Dave's passing was announced is how quickly this story kind of broke that Catholic media bubble and became relevant in so many secular outlets. I mean, there were stories about him in the Wall Street Journal. There were stories, you know, in the Irish Times. There were stories in on CNN. There were stories everywhere about this auxiliary bishop in Los Angeles having been gunned down. Now, obviously, I'm sure some of that was because of the fact that he was murdered. I mean, that doesn't happen every day, thanks be to God. But nevertheless, um, usually the sort of ins and outs of clerics in the Catholic Church don't make international news that way, even when they might die uh, tragically. You know, I think about the the um, Catholic priests and bishops uh, in Africa, and most recently, I believe it's in uh, Nicaragua or Honduras, I forget which one exactly, but where a bishop has been essentially imprisoned for, you know, decades now, uh, or he's been sentenced rather to decades in prison uh, for essentially being a dissenter against the the government there. So even though we hear about this perhaps because we're interested in this kind of subject matter and we follow the people on social that talk about this stuff, nevertheless, it doesn't kind of break that seam and break that bubble of the Catholic media space and enter the sort of, you know, regular tapestry of news like Bishop Dave's um, murder did. So that was one thing I noticed um, right away. And also the evolution of the facts of the case, um, you know, which I've mentioned that initially it was one gunshot wound. Now it's five. There's a lot of things that have evolved and there's definitely a lot of questions that I have. But the thing I noticed right away was it breaking the bubble, kind of going far and wide. And of the real impact that you could tell viscerally, like visibly in the faces of the men in particular who knew him, fellow priests and bishops, Uh, who loved him so dearly, Archbishop Gomez, as an example, was really distraught at the press conference. He couldn't even talk. I mean, he was crying. And I've never seen him show that level of of, of emotion. And obviously, I know he can, but I just had never seen it. And so it struck me as something, um, you know, very difficult for him. Um, My pastor, um, uh, Father Albert Albert Vanderward, uh, was also very close. He was one of his mentees, um, you know, had ministered with him for many years, was one of his uh, pallbearers at his funeral, which just happened this last weekend. And he, you know, was and is still very, very shaken by this as, as is understandable, but he left a very big mark. I have a personal experience with Bishop Dave I knew him. I, you know, had met him several times. I don't know if he would remember me, but there was one exchange that um, I had with him that always stuck out in my mind. He was ordained in 2015, and when he was a brand new bishop, I happened to attend a conference or, you know, uh, basically like a uh, 
a meeting. It may have been a mission, uh, a parish retreat or something along those lines. I'm not exactly sure of the circumstances, but I remember sitting in the audience. He was in the audience as well. And at the end of this conference, we were leaving and walking out to the parking lot. And it just happened that I was walking next to him and we struck up a conversation. And so we walked, you know, into the parking lot and you get to that moment where your car is one way and his car is another way. And the conversation kind of died down. I mentioned to him that I was at that time still discerning the diaconate and that I was a couple years away from ordination. And I asked him for his blessing. Now, that's not unusual. I ask priests and deacons and bishops for their blessing all the time. But I asked him for his blessing. And what is unusual is what happened after I asked him for his blessing. Again, we're in the parking lot. He's about to head in one direction. I'm about to head in another and, you know, I've, I've had blessings given to me by other clerics where they, you know, put their hands up in the air in the sort of Oron's position, or maybe they lay their hand on my shoulder, that kind of stuff, right? There's a variety of ways to do it. But generally speaking, it's something where, you know, the guy will stand a little bit afar and maybe raise his hands up or just clutch his hands together and bow his head and pray. But Bishop Dave walked directly to me. He was pretty close to getting into his car. And he walked back towards me, I'd say about, I don't know, six to 10 feet towards me. And then he laid his hands on my head and he prayed over me. And that was the first time that a bishop had ever put his hands on my head. Now, knowing obviously that ordination is in large part or in its entirety brought about by the laying on of hands by a bishop um, the fact that it, that had never happened before, that a bishop had never laid both of his hands on my head was for me such a great confirmation of my diaconal call. And it really, it was just a great little God nudge, a God wink that I was on the right track. He didn't have to do that, but he did. He was a very incarnational guy. And that's something that you could tell whether you met him once or met him several times, that he really believed and lived the gospel in everything that he did, he was a fully integrated person. And that was something that I maybe wouldn't have defined it that way uh, in 2015, but I can definitely see evidence of it today. And it meant a lot to me. A couple other things that I'd mentioned about Bishop Dave um, is, which I think is super interesting. Look, his ministerial uh, you know, background is something that you can research on your own if you want to find out all the different things he was into. But um, to me, what's really interesting about him especially in this very polarized climate that we still have in this country politically and otherwise. And frankly, in the church, we continue to have polarization was the fact that he defied kind of all of those uh, polarizing labels, right? Because here was a guy who as a priest, and I don't know what his thoughts were as a bishop, but as a priest had, you know, some, what would, what would, could be regarded as left of center theological inclinations, right? He had a particular um, thought process on the ordination of women. Now, I don't know because I haven't read his, his quotes, but I know from others who have that, um, you know, that he had some inclinations to uh, the, the legitimacy of ordaining women, uh, you know, to holy orders, right? A diaconate, priestly orders, et cetera. So he had some of those, well, maybe, you know, again, using words that don't really work, you could define as left of center or progressive kind of tendencies on a theological level. And presumably there are others that would kind of fall into that end of the spectrum. But at the same time, here was a guy who, you know, I have it on pretty good authority, would perform uh, exorcisms 
on by himself or himself. Now, the bishop is the chief exorcist of his diocese, right? Or of, in the case of an auxiliary, the region that the archbishop um, carves out from the broader diocese for him. So he is, by his office, ex officio, he is the, the exorcist of that particular place. But it's very unusual to have bishops actually perform uh, exorcisms. Generally speaking, they uh, mandate or deputize a priest to be an exorcist for the region or the exorcist for the region, depending on the needs. So it's unusual. And it's something that really struck out at me because exorcisms and um, deliverance and spiritual warfare are generally, again, I'm being very generalistic today, but generally things that you find with folks who might be more, you know, right of the center line in terms of their theological preferences. So that was one thing. The other thing is he was exceedingly a pro-life advocate, would pray outside of, um, you know, Planned Parenthood and abortion clinics on a very consistent basis, was friends with all of the pro-life leaders, at least the ones that I'm aware of, um, as somebody who was a, you know, a deep and ingrained ally of the pro-life mission. And he, you know, was very clear uh, and, 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 you know, would not at all a quibble with what abortion was and what it did and what a great evil, et cetera. So he had those um, kind of inclinations. And then this other thing that I found out about only recently was that at one point coming out of the pandemic, uh, he went to the top of one of the mountains. I'm not sure which one it was. It could have been the St. Gabriel mountains or one, some position in the mountain ranges overlooking Los Angeles, where you can basically see all of LA. Right. And he brought up a huge monstrance and consecrated all of Los Angeles, um, through the precious, uh, you know, through the precious blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus in the blessed sacrament. So he was up there for like an hour, you know, praying and consecrating all of LA, especially coming out of COVID, asking for healing and leaning on Jesus in the blessed sacrament to achieve that end. And it was such a, and it's, there's a beautiful video of it you can see on YouTube, but it was such a powerful witness to the belief in the real presence and to this Eucharistic love that he, that he clearly had which again, I'm being a generalist, but you know, deep Eucharistic theology is generally something that you might not find as often uh, in sort of progressive theological areas. So he, he kind of befuddled his critics in that regard because he was so active in those um, you know, ministerial causes and theological causes of people that might consider themselves more center-right uh, the not. And, the, you know, that's one thing. At the same time, he was super active in defense of the immigrant, defense of the imprisoned. He would do prison ministry. He would minister to the poor, the homeless. I mean, he was, he just was the real deal, right? This integrated Catholic person. And he challenges us today, in my opinion, to be that both and. I've been preaching a lot about this lately. The fact that the division that started politically is definitely something that I feel in the church with respect to which sort of political camp you happen to be on. And, you know, that is a misapprehension of the Catholic faith, right? We, we're not called to look left or right. We're called to look up irrespective of what our personal, you know, political inclinations might be. And we all have them. 
right? Some people may prefer the idea of a smaller government. Some people may prefer the idea of a more centralized government. Those are all things that are fine, and we can disagree about them as good uh, Christians and people of goodwill. But as Catholics, that's not supposed to be the driving force. The driving force for us is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that does not fit neatly into any political category. And we have to be reminded of that And I think that Bishop Dave was sort of the embodiment of that kind of thinking and that kind of lived experience where he was comfortable in all manner of rooms and places and people because he looked at everyone, whether rich or poor or black or white or, or, you know, culturally adept or not or theologically skilled or not. He viewed them truly as his brothers and sisters. And it seems so simple, but that really is the call that Jesus gives us, right? Love God above all else. Love your brother as you love yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. And Bishop Dave is somebody who lived those things incarnationally at the deepest level from just a few meetings that I had with him. You could tell, and now reading the body of of his experiences and work and testimonies about him, you can see that what I experienced was very similar to what thousands and thousands of others did. I'll end with this because I think it makes the point, um, you know, very neatly. And it's something for all of us to reflect on. At his funeral mass, there were a number of people who who spoke. Um, his family was uh, there from Ireland and they had certain parts within the liturgy. <coughs> Excuse me. But the main uh, homilist was his uh, 50-year-long friend, uh, Monsignor Jarlath Cunane, I believe is how you pronounce his name, and apologies to Monsignor if I mispronounce it, but a friend of his from a long time ago, and he gave the homily for his funeral mass. And he said a lot of beautiful things about him and about you know his mission and his ministry and all the impact that he had, but one thing above all struck me, and he said that Bishop Dave was comfortable with the movers and the shakers as well as with the moved and the shaken. And I think that that is what we're all called to do, right? To be comfortable in the halls of power and talking to people that have tremendous influence over our daily affairs. You know, think of politicians and, you know, executives and all the, all these kind of roles that have a tremendous amount of influence. And at the same time, was at home among the poorest of the poor, the weakest of the weak, the most vulnerable. He really lived that both and beautifully, that hyphen beautifully. He never forgot, at least not as far as I could tell, that each of the people that he was getting a chance, a blessing to interact with, whoever they were, were each in their own way a reflection of God. And that is so powerful and such an incredible reminder for us to attempt to do the same. So my brothers and sisters, through the intercession of Bishop David O'Connell, I bless each and every one of you. I hope that you are able, like myself, to walk every day closer to that reality of being comfortable with the movers and shakers and with the moved and the shaken. God bless you. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.